Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our service of worship this morning as we come to you from Bundaberg Uniting Church. Wherever you may be worshiping this morning, may you feel welcome. May you know that the Spirit of God is with you, upon you, and in you. Know that we are joined together as a family, and uh, if you're worshiping with us for the first time, a very special welcome to you. As we go out live, we would love for you to interact with us during the service. Drop us a comment. Let us know where you're watching from. We will try to get to all of the comments. And, uh, and if you want to make a comment on the message, on the sermon, pop that in there as well. And during the week, we'll get to answer those. We love the interaction. We love when, uh, when you click the like buttons or, or the reaction buttons. All of that is part of being together in the service. Today you'll see I'm not wearing my usual uh, preaching collar because we have a special guest preacher this morning. The Reverend Chris Krauss will be with us and I'll tell you a little bit more about Chris in a second or two. But as we begin worship this morning, I pray that you will know that the Spirit transcends distance and barriers and wherever we are worshiping, God's Spirit binds us together as one. As we begin, let us open with a word of prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we gather this morning, we thank you for your love, your hand upon our lives. We thank you for the hope that you give us, for the sense, Lord, that our lives are about more than just what we think or what we see. You have a plan for us. You direct us. You invite us to be part of what builds your kingdom in this world. And for all of those things, we give you thanks and praise. We thank you, Lord, that in your majesty and power, you see fit, you count us worthy of being part of, of the things that are important to us. That nothing that we face or go through is ever too little or too unconcerning for you. You never just dust us off or push us aside. You hear our prayers, you listen to our cries, you enjoy our hopes and dreams. For this beautiful personal nature of of who you are, Lord God. We give you thanks and praise. We worship you because of the gift of forgiveness. We rejoice, Lord God, that there is nothing that, that we can do that could ever trump what you have done for us on the cross. That your gift of life in Christ is something priceless and magnificent. For the fact, Lord, that you remember our sins no more, that you don't count them against us, that you never hold a grudge, is truly a forgiveness that, that we not only enjoy, but aspire to give to others in our lives as well. Forgive us, Lord, for those moments where we have fallen short of that, where we have not loved like you love us and have not forgiven the way you have forgiven us. May your Holy Spirit continue to speak into our souls and minister to us in a way that, that prompts us in those moments so that who we are may reflect the beauty of Jesus to the people around us. We ask, Lord God, that as we spend time in worship this morning, that your Holy Spirit would minister to us in beautiful and powerful ways, that through the words Chris speaks, you will, uh, you will touch our lives and allow us each to know that in a way that is relevant to us and that makes sense to us, your Spirit is speaking. Lord God, we pray these things in and through the precious name 
of Jesus Christ, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Friends, uh, if you could take a moment for those who are around you to simply greet them as I say to you, the peace of the Lord be with you. And we respond, and also with you. And if you are alone watching this at home or wherever you may be, know that I'm saying it to you and uh, I'm hearing you say it back to me. As we continue in the worship, I, uh, I know that there have been many who have been giving faithfully to the work of this church, who have been uh, contributing through online giving, and those details are on uh, the church website, and those who have been dropping their offerings in at the office. Thank you for that. Thank you for your faithful contributions. And uh, just before I hand over to Chris, we'll spend a moment dedicating that offering to God's glory. Lord God, as we offer ourselves in worship, it isn't just who we are that we, we bring into, into worship this morning, but we offer to you what we have. The gifts that we give, Lord God, are a symbol of our love for you. They are a recognition that everything we have belongs to you and can be used for your glory. And so we ask that you would take these gifts as a, as a sign of our love, but take them with the greater gift of ourselves and use both to build your kingdom in this world. In the name of Jesus, amen. Friends, it is my privilege uh, this morning to uh, introduce to you the Reverend Chris Krauss. Chris is our Presbytery Minister for the Mary Burnett Presbytery, and uh, it's wonderful to have him up here in Bundaberg to deliver the message. We're taking a break from the Soul Keeping series for this week, and we'll pick that up again next week. But Chris is going to, uh, going to lead us in a sermon on hope and starfish theology, which is, uh, sounds interesting right off the bat. Chris, welcome to you. It's lovely to have you. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Mike. Oh, I'm noticing that as well. There you go. There you go. Thank you very much. Yeah, it, it certainly is a privilege to be here, and thank you for the opportunity. For those, I, I, Stuart's telling me thousands are joining at 2 a.m. in South Africa. Sorry if you're disappointed that you're not seeing Stuart. Um, but I have a message about hope that I'd love to share with you. And uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to do that. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, I, I invite you to open your Bible at 1 Peter 3, First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. If you don't, I believe it'll be on the screen, the technology holds up, and I will lead us in this Bible reading. Just a word of context before I read it. Remember that every Bible passage is preached or written in a context, and in this context, it's one of fear. It's one of a persecution. Um, and Peter is writing to them to say there is a reason to hope and you need to be able to convey that hope to others. So we're going to reflect on that and delve a bit deeper on what hope means for us as Christians. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Who is going to harm you 
if you are eager to do good. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And this is the word of the Lord. I brought a bit of a light-hearted graph to show you. And I invite you to have a look at those emojis and identify whether you've used any of these emojis in this period during this crisis. There is a cyclical pattern to what happens in our lives and when we are stressed and when we even end up going into panic and anger. If you have a look at that, you'll see how things were going really well on the left-hand side of the screen. Optimism, excitement, thrill. And we get to a point where things are just going swimmingly. At the beginning of this year, the stock exchange was setting new records. People were saying it's a great year. All of us had holidays booked. Most of us, many of us had overseas holidays booked. Life was good. And what could possibly go wrong? In that, after that complacency, something happens. We get the announcement about a coronavirus and it just, initially, we're a bit anxious, then we deny, and then we get scared. We get scared to the point with some panic. And I think one of the things I'll never forget about this pandemic 20 years from now, if I live that long, will be that it was at some stage called the, the toilet paper pandemic. Illustrative of the level of panic that was out there in society. People stressing and trying to find something to say it's not all lost. Slowly but surely, we lost one thing after another. Cancelled holidays, found out that your deposits were gone, saw your superannuation fund plunge. See the fear. See the death tolls on TV. And it goes to anger. How do we do this? Who do we blame? Can we find someone to blame? And then people going, I feel I've lost it, depressed. And then as the cycle turns, we get to hope. And as I say, the stock exchange is usually a good indicator and the stock exchange is recovering. So people are thinking this is over. But is it? What about a second wave? How do we live in that hope that is just starting to blossom? And in the, in the light of this passage that we've just read, how do we communicate that hope? What makes us different as a Christian community, as a church? What makes you as an individual Christian different? If you're saying to people, I have hope, what are you basing it on? Why do we have a reason to hope? What is that hope? I've, I distinctly remember once, um, 30, 40 years ago, seeing a bumper sticker that read, Jesus is the answer 
but what's the question? Simply telling people that Jesus is the answer is not enough. And 1 Peter 3 is trying to respond to that, to say, how do we communicate hope? So let's start there. I, I would love to share with you the many ways that we explore hope. And the key thing, the starting point for me, is in that, uh, that verse 15, where he says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And I went to Dr. Google to, say, to, say, to see what this really means. So, so if we're just supposed to revere Christ, what does it mean? And some of the sim, some common sim, uh, synonyms of revere are adore, reverence, venerate, and worship. While all these words mean to honor and admire profoundly and respectfully, revere stresses dif difference and tenderness of feeling. That's the starting point. Revere Christ. So my invitation to you as someone lying in bed, maybe sitting in a chair, maybe in a tent in a caravan park, maybe in your lounge, is to start by asking yourself, where is Jesus Christ in your life? Start by revering Christ. You cannot communicate hope if Christ isn't the foundation of the hope that lives within you. That's the starting point. Everything else will not convince because it won't be real. For me, hope springs eternal in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where I start. That's why I believe all of us have to start. So then he comes to this key verse and he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So we're going to explore this verse and this verse only. I know there's a lot more in this passage, but this for me is a key thing for, for today to stop and reflect on. This is the weekend of the anniversary of the Uniting Church. It wasn't called the United Church, it was called the Uniting Church because we're hoping that all Christians would unite. The title itself, the name of this movement, says that we have hope. So if we're trying to explain that hope, how do we do that? How do we give reasons for the hope that lives in us? I guess I'm warning against this tendency to just say, she'll be right, mate. Everything will turn out fine. It won't turn out fine because as I was learning our, last night when I watched the news, 20,000 people got diagnosed yesterday in Brazil in one day. One and a half thousand died in one country in one day. It is not just okay. And in that context, how do we maintain the hope? How do we communicate the hope as we as a country now start to emerge from this lockdown and the threat and the fear of this, this Corona-19 virus? There is a context. There's a context in which to explain this and to understand this. And in the first Peter context, it was one of fear. I think there are great similarities in our community where people are scared. So in that scaredness, I'd like to analyze for a few moments with you what hope means. And I want you to imagine a three-legged stool, a three-legged three -legged little chair. 
And if, if you don't have all three legs, you know that a three-legged chair doesn't work. You've got to have all three legs. So when we think about hope, there are three elements that most people that study hope identify that have to be there, that work together to create hope. And if you lose one, the little stool of three falls over. So in uh, Mark Manson's book on hope, he analyzes these three. And I, I want to quickly stop uh, at each one of them and reflect shortly on each. The first, he says, that people have consensus about is that people who have hope have a sense of control. Now that's possibly one of the most difficult things to have in the middle of a pandemic because we have so little control. Things truly are falling apart. When we looked at uh, graphs and projections when this virus started, people were saying unbelievable things about what could happen to our hospitals of overcongestion and panic and how we would have to make choices on who to save and who not to save. How much control do we have when it feels like there's no control out there? That is part of the hope, is to think then, what does it mean to have some control? And from a Christian perspective, where does that control sit? Well, I would like to go back to revere Christ if you want to talk about hope. Because in the resurrection, we are reminded that he overcame, that God overcomes, that there is something that we build on. More correctly said, there is someone we build on. In your faith, if your trust is in God, if you are following in the footsteps of Jesus, you might not have control over everything, but you know that God is in control. And if God is in control in the midst of every crisis, it doesn't immunize us against the crisis, it doesn't protect us that it won't happen to each or maybe some of us, but, but we know where the control sits. And that's one leg of the stool. A second one that they've identified is a belief in the value of something, what we call values, a shared value. If we want hope, we need to share some values. It's value-based. And in the Christian faith in our community, uh, there are so many places to find this, right through the whole Bible, but just reflect for a moment on something like the Sermon on the Mount. A set of values on how to function, how to live in a time like this. Think of the great commandment to love your neighbor like yourself. A shared value that when we share these values, they co-contribute to hope and to the creation of hope. So for each one of us, it's not a set of values we find in one place, but a lot of it's found in the church. A lot of it's found in the community of faith. And it's found in the Bible. It's found when we read together, when we reflect together, when we worship together. We celebrate values. We live out those values. The third element of hope is a community to belong to, a sense of belonging. That's why we worship together on a Sunday morning. We don't come for the morning tea. I hope you don't just come for the morning tea. We don't just come to share stories about the NRL and the AFL and, 
and talk about the weather. We come because there is something called koinonia, the Greek word for community, the community of Christians coming together. As I'm doing this in this slightly artificial place where, you know, I'm standing in a church and I see a hundred empty chairs, I feel a miss. I feel that. I miss the community of the faithful. I miss giving people a hug or seeing people hug. I miss people just laughing together and touching someone else's forearm because it's in that sense of community that the shared values and the belief in he who controls everything comes together. So three elements of hope that kind of unpacks and helps us better understand 1 Peter 3, verse 15. If we miss one of them, it falls over. So in this time of lack of community, where we can't gather as we would like, it's so important that we even share that online, that you pick up your phone and you call, that you call other Christians, fellow travelers, that in the sharing of our values, you express that and talk about that and not just spread the panic and the conspiracy theories and the fear that when we talk about control you develop a language to say and explain why the hope that you have in your heart comes from God and that God is in control even when it's not a robotic automated control I would like to go a step further then and explain my personal understanding and what influences me in trying to convey these values and to contribute to these three levels of conveying hope. And to do that, I want to share with you a very well-known story. It's a, it's a modern-day parable. Um, it's kind of anonymous because when you Google it, you'll find that different people have written something similar. Very hard to find the origin. But it's a story and a beautiful story with a, with a moral that I love and I think helps us understand. It's called the Starfish Parable. So it's a story about a little boy or a little girl that walks on the beach one morning, early in the morning, and there was a big storm overnight or a massive high tide, depending which version you read, and hundreds and hundreds of starfish have washed up on the beach. The sun is starting to rise. The sun is going to bake them to a crisp. Thousands and thousands of these starfish are going to die. So this little kid is walking along the beach, picking up a starfish, chucking it back in the ocean. And then another, and then another, and then another. And an old man approaches and sees this little kid and says, What are you doing? You can't make that much of a difference. You do realize that even if you throw back dozens, thousands will still die. What difference do you think you're really making? And the child responds by saying, I made a difference to this one, and to this one, and to this one. And for me, that's a wonderful parable in a modern context to help us understand that even though we don't have control, even though we're not in a position to control the virus or stop its spread, or the destruction it has on the economy, or on our tourism, on our relationships with our neighbors, with other countries, even with your loved ones, even, we, even though we don't have that level of control, we can make a difference. And we can make that difference by chucking back one starfish at a time. 
making a difference where we can, when we can, and how we can. And that's the difference. I'm not pretending to be able to change the world. I grew up. When I was 20, I was arrogant enough to think I would really change the world. I could do great things and make a massive difference. As I matured and learned from my many, many mistakes, I've realized I can make a difference where I am and where God calls me. And in those places, I can make a real difference. So I want to share just a couple of very short stories with you from my own life. And the point of sharing stories from your own life is always risky because it might sound like you're saying, oh, I'm such a good guy. And I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to show that sometimes by doing something, you can make a real difference. So in my last placement in South Africa in a town called Franschhoek, um, I was there serving in a ministry whilst a different pandemic was reaching its peak, the AIDS pandemic. And people were infect infected with HIV. And there was a sense of gloom and doom around with numbers appearing time after time saying 15%, maybe 20% of the population is HIV positive. They will die within a few years. And it, it, it's spreading. And how do we stop this? So we started an organization called Tanduluntu. And for those of you that don't speak Zulu, it means love for all people. We had 13 members in the group. Uh, sorry, no, we had 12 members in the group speaking between us 13 languages. People from five different racial groups working closely together to say, let's educate. Let's pastorally care. Let's make a difference where we can. So one of the things I did was write a business plan to the big, two biggest insurance companies in the country, saying to them, I want 200,000 from each of you. I want to be able to buy laptops, little power generators, projectors for PowerPoint, and we are going to go to places, halls, and on farms, where the labor is quite labor intensive in Franschhoek, in the farming communities, in the wineries. We're going to start up the little projector and show on the screen a PowerPoint slide explaining and helping people who can't read what a virus means and how, non, how to not transmit this virus. It was greatly successful. We were grateful for everything that happened. And I was very thankful to lead that and be part of that. Now you might say, so how many lives do you think you saved? A hundred? Two hundred? Five hundred? Do you realize there were seven million people infected? What difference did you make? I made a difference to that starfish. And so did the other ten, eleven people. And when I left, we had trained up the leadership so they could go on and be taken over by another organization and continue. Each starfish that you threw back made a difference. That's what I believed. That's what we were doing. A, most, a more uh, recent example is in Perth, where I started a group called the Circle for Dangerous Thinking. A circle where we invited people who didn't feel part of the church, didn't often feel that part of what happens in church gives them hope, or didn't connect to a lot of stuff that happens in churches. And we said, let's start a book, book reading group and talk through this stuff. Let's do it in a respectful way where we're not trying to convert you. We're not trying to convince you that I'm right and you're wrong. 
we want to share with you the love of God, but talk through the key issues, the issues we have in common. That we reach many people. Oh, we had a difference attendance every month, but it never peaked above a 12. It was great. It was great. Because we made a difference to one starfish at a time. So I'd like to invite you and encourage you to identify where your heart bursts are, where the places are that hope springs for you where you don't have to be encouraged by others. You don't have to be pushed and motivated by others. And share that hope. Share the hope with other people. But don't do it in a naive, uninformed way. Do some thinking. Do some praying. Read this verse again and again. Be ready to give reasons for the hope that lives within you, is what Peter says. And then we've looked at what that means. That hope has to encompass at least these three things. Some sense of control or an acknowledgement of where that control sits. Shared values that we share as a faith community and a shared life as a community. If you take hope seriously and you convey that hope, you'll be part of the starfish theology, helping people one at a time because God's Spirit works through people like you. People have bothered to get up this morning and tune into this broadcast because you are part of a community. You want to be part. You want to bring hope. Are we going to reboot out of this crisis? I think we will. But I did recently did a big upgrade on my op operating system on my, on my laptop. And I've got to tell you, every time you do that, there are new features, new things that happen. It's a different version of the previous software you had on your laptop. When we reboot out of this crisis, I sincerely hope we don't go back to exactly where we were that we will have learned things, that we will be enriched, that we will be encouraged to reach people in new ways, that we will be a better community, better serve others, better love our neighbour, better be able to turn the other cheek, to live out the Sermon on the Mount. Let's reboot as a new community, a community of hope. I'd like to conclude by inviting you to not just hope for better, but to be better and to help others be better. Let's do that. And then this crisis, once we look back one day, will be the reboot of something more special. The people of God ministering to the world in love, one starfish at a time. Amen. I invite you to share with me in a short prayer. Loving God, it is a true privilege to reflect and talk about your word. To read and remember that your spirit infused each word. Not so that it becomes a dictionary or a mechanistic tool for us to use, but to see the workings of your spirit in people's lives and to convey that message in our context today. 
we give thanks for your word. We give thanks for your presence in this worship. Even though we are a very dispersed community on this morning, we give thanks for that. We give thanks even for modern technology that enables us to connect in this way so that even though there are kilometers between some of us and in some cases thousands of kilometers, we might still be able to connect. We give thanks for that. I pray for the many people affected by this virus in so many ways. For those left behind and that have have lost loved ones because of this. For those stressed out sitting in quarantine. For those sitting outside a hospital bedroom because they can't even touch a loved one. We pray for the devastation, for those who are suffering under the devastation of job losses in so many places. Those whose empty stores, whose empty shops, whose empty window fronts tell a story of the pain that's behind it. We pray for the many people who are serving during this time in so many ways, helping, nursing, caring. When we are searching for hope, Lord, there is nowhere else for us to turn. We come to you and we know that you bring the control. We bring our everything to you, asking that you lead us into the next, albeit very uncertain step, one step at a time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chris, for leading us. If you want to uh, hear a little bit more from Chris on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, our connecting conversation will be uh, with Chris. I'll be interviewing him, uh, grilling him about his own sermon. No, you know, that's not how it works. But uh, we're looking forward to carrying on the conversation uh, with Chris. And again, that's an interactive thing. You can log on, you can send a question in, you can comment. Um, and we'd love for, for you to do that. Um, I think we are breaking records all over everywhere because I think this is probably the first time in Chris's ministry career that he's preached in two different places at exactly the same time. I think he was uh, preaching at Harvey Bay this morning on a recorded service and, uh, and uh, here in Bundaberg on a live one. But friends, uh, as you go into the day, <clears throat> may God bless you. And I trust... Uh, that, uh, that you take the words that Chris has spoken and allow it to become part of your own spirituality and part of your journey with God. I'll see you on Tuesday night and we say the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all and those whom we love this day and forevermore. Amen. Right.